The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I have a truly special and different episode for you today. Renee Lertzman is an internationally recognized thought leader and advisor who works with governments, businesses, philanthropic, and non-governmental sectors to design strategies suited for the uniquely challenging nature of environmental psychology. Her skills and insight are what we need more of in the world in light of our shared effort to fight climate change and the ensuing stress that comes with that challenge. Listeners, I've been feeling a great deal of climate anxiety lately, and Renee shares advice for how to channel those feelings into meaningful action and mobilization at scale, which is what we really need to solve the crisis and alleviate the stress that comes with the urgency to act. And I'm just going to say it, her TED Talk on how to turn climate anxiety into action is one of the best I've ever seen and is definitely worth watching after you listen to the show. Please join me in welcoming Renee Lertzman. Listeners, buckle up. Welcome back. We're going to have a little climate therapy. Welcome to the show, Renee Lertzman. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for inviting me. So I have to say, I told you this over email, but just so our listeners know my frame of mind for our discussion, when I was doing the research on you and invited you to be on the show, I had this moment where I just burst into tears because as the listeners heard your work on environmental psychology, just there's so much having worked on issues of the environment, specifically climate change for so long. I've really myself been feeling anxious lately, right? Like the ups and downs that we're getting close. We're going to do something. Oh, we can't. And so it's just such an important field. And to see that there's someone out there who is recognizing these feelings just was really affirming to me that everything I was feeling was okay and normal. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really grateful that you shared that because that's exactly what this is all about is our ability to acknowledge and name just what it's like to live with what we know uh, is it's a lot. And the more that we can actually acknowledge that and speak to that and talk about it is totally the basis for our resilience and our ability to stay engaged. So, and you're just sharing your experience is modeling the vulnerability that it's okay to talk about these things. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or that you're weak or overly sensitive at all. You know, it's really a, it's a, it's really a reflection of just being a, a person right now. So how much do you think that anxiety that people feel around climate change is intensified because of access to the internet and the news. Mm. Like I remember being a kid and I knew about the ozone layer. And I actually was just talking about this with a previous guest that I remember my mom being adamant that we had to wear sunscreen because of the hole in the ozone and that we were going to get skin cancer. 
and I was a teenager and I wanted to get a tan and I wanted to use sun tan oil or whatever. And she just forbade that. And so I remember having some recollection of it, but I wasn't worried really. I have a 17 year old and I have a 20 year old and they're worried enough that they're talking about how they don't want to have kids someday. So I feel like they're way more informed about what's happening on climate change. And that's just my own little personal sample of two. So do you think that there's a greater, um, a greater sense of fear and anxiety because we have more information? A hundred percent. Yes. So that's also something that's not acknowledged, I think, as much as it could be, which is that we are simply exposed to so much more now than we were a few years ago. And before that, it was a few years ago and before that. So what we've seen is this exponential growth in, in feedback loops, feedback systems, so that we're seeing and we're exposed to a lot more. And yet we haven't really come to terms with how we can actually process it um, and, and, and kind of, you know, respond um, at a level that's commensurate with the volume that's coming our way. So when we look at the, the rise of climate anxiety or fear or overwhelm or whatever that might be, we see this rise over the years at a more public collective level um, it's in direct relationship with the fact that there's just so much out there that bef- that ever was. But then combine that with the rise in events and, um, you know, incidents such as the fires or flooding or what have you. And that confluence really creates this whole new level of awareness that we just haven't seen before. There was an article in the Washington Post magazine maybe a few months ago or weeks ago. The last eight weeks have are all blurred together, kind of how they were in the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But um, they were talking about the PTSD of the wildfire survivors in California in 2017 and you know, following people who don't live in the wildfire zone anymore, but they every day they think about that experience, right? And so to me, that is a very normal reaction to have for from an incident where you lost, almost lost your life, maybe lost loved ones, pets, you know, personal belongings, et cetera. And then there is the trauma of people who are working on climate change every day, like me, hand-raised, and others. And, And I think that, you know, one thing about when we feel anxious about something, right, is that you want to, you want to, I presume that you want to find something to do, right? That there are tasks. So if you're going to therapy for something that happened to you emotionally, then sometimes you're given tools to use, right? To help you come over, overcome whatever you are feeling or to help you manage those feelings. So one thing I'm wondering is whether taking personal responsibility is something that you've seen in your um, studies and your talks and your um, um, being, you know, talking to people if personal responsibility is helps or hinders some of those feelings, because I know sometimes when I'm just like, Oh, I'm going to recycle today. And then I know my neighbor isn't, it makes me mad. Right. Like, well, why am I putting in all this effort if they're not going to do something? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, um, so there's a lot in what you just shared. Um, (laughs) So I guess I think 
the, the reframe I would offer is that um, it's not a binary anymore of individual responsibility and collective action and kind of system change that I think our thinking tends to toggle between the individual versus the system. And if you really think about it, that's a, that's a construct. So in actuality, we are not just individuals. We are, we individuals make up collectives, make up societies, make up organizations. And so the way I think of it is um, it all starts with the individual, basically. You know, we are all that kind of, that unit, the, the basic unit of, um, of how we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're doing, right? Like hands, head, heart start with the individual but what's incredibly important is that we keep that in the context of the bigger picture so that it's not just me it's we mm-hmm. and i know it's you know it's one thing to say that it's another thing to really put that into practice but it's a it's a lens that we can just keep trying on which is um it's not just me it's we um and the other thing i would just add to that is um you know, in my experience over many years working in the space, what I have observed and heard from many, many, many people from very different backgrounds is um, there's a pain involved with when we're when we're not living in alignment with our deepest values, our deepest, you know, core um, what we what we really what really matters to us. I think there's pain there when we are out of alignment and no one right now, very few people can be in total alignment because we know too much. And yet we're still living in a system where, you know, we using plastics and we're using fossil fuels and so forth. But the more we can live, support ourselves and others to live more in alignment is, is really, um, can, can be an incredible benefit. So it's not just, does my recycling matter? Cause if you think, if you go down that hole, you're gonna, it's like a, it's not gonna take you very far. It's gonna be really kind of counterproductive. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it in terms of, I am one of many, and this is what I'm choosing to do to exercise my own sense of alignment and agency in the world, then I actually can relate with my recycling or how I'm dealing with my travel or what I'm eating in a different way than what difference is going to make. Right. That makes sense. I think it's just hard to find those things that feel big enough today, given the enormity of the the issue. Yeah, definitely. Which is why it's absolutely totally essential that we we really channel our energies in the direction of, of collective action. So organizations is where the action is. And just, I want to be really clear for folks who are listening a bit about my background. Um, So I'm a psychologist, but I'm not a clinical psychologist. I don't work with people one-on-one. I actually work with organizations and I advise and I consult on campaigns and strategies. And the reason why is because Uh, I think that organizations like yours Mm -hmm. um, are really like the, the activators, 
And so um, that I think is, you know, that that's what really will drive change is, is how do you as an organization, not only ensure that your members or people who are part of your community feel um, that they're, you know, able to channel their, you know, talents and contributions meaningfully, but how do you also create a, um, the conditions that enable others who might not normally be part of what you're doing to see, oh, that's something that might make sense for me and that might support me in my ability to live more in alignment. How did you get into this field? I find it so fascinating. Um, well, it started for me when I was very young, um, really a freshman in college. And I thought I was going to be a psychologist and I was planning on doing, um, you know, basically becoming a clinical psychologist. And then I, I just happened to take environmental studies classes at the time. And I could not reconcile what I was learning about with my plan to be a psychologist at the time. And, and it just became very clear to me based on my own anxiety, my own fear, my own feeling overwhelmed, like okay, I've just learned in this lecture hall, like it sounds really dire. And yet I'm now expected to kind of go off and act as if that's not happening and plan my life, like, you know, like a very, in a very conventional way. And, and that didn't work for me. And so I just decided that I would connect the fields of psychology with climate and environment um, pretty early on. And it took me, you know, through um, doing, um, you know, I worked with NGOs, I worked in, did a lot of comms work. Mm -hmm. um, and then I ended up doing um, a master's in environmental communications um, at UNC Chapel Hill with a really thoughtful person um, named Robbie Cox, who I think would really resonate with what your organization is doing. Um, very, um, I don't know how to, how to put it, but uh, just a very thoughtful, um, inclusive um, individual who happened to also be the president of the Sierra Club when I was there doing my work with him. And then I went on to do a PhD in social science, but always with this focus on I'm wanting to understand the psychology of engaging with these issues, like at the deepest level, like what is really going on? And, and in particular, I really wanted to understand this idea of apathy mm -hmm. and how a lot of people who are involved with these issues get really frustrated and feel like, what is wrong with people? They're just apathetic and they just don't care. And I just don't believe that. I actually based on my research and just all the experiences I've had, I, I, I find that that's just not, it's, it's, it's so much more complicated. Mm -hmm. And when you scratch the surface, you find that no matter who a person is and where they're coming from, they actually really care about a lot of things, but, but that a lot of us exempt, take ourselves or exempt ourselves out of the conversation so for example, I did some interviews with, with conservative folks in Wisconsin when I was doing my research, my PhD, and P I was just very poignant. 
because these individuals I was interviewing who are very openly conservative um, would say, would, would then would proceed to tell me so much about what was going on with the environment. Like they, there was just a high level of awareness and literacy, but yet they would, they would eventually get to this place of, well, you know, what can I do? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to join that organization over there because they're radical or whatever. And I'm not going to donate because I don't have the resources to donate. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, and it's like, all of a sudden they were like, there were no clear options for them to engage. And I just felt like there's something so wrong with this. It's like, this has to be a movement for everyone. Everyone should feel like they are part of this, no matter who you are. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. And, and that's what we, that's the tra- type of home or community we try to create for people is that, you know, here's a space where of conservative minded people who believe in taking some action on climate change. And we might not all agree exactly on what that action is, but sometimes sort of starting at the root and knowing what the problem is, is helpful. And to what you were saying earlier about kind of the group dynamic You know, there are definitely times, and I'm going to just peel the veil back a little bit, when we're having our internal calls, they can often feel like therapy because Mm -hmm. we all, you know, Bob has been in, Bob Inglis has been in this for a long time. I have, our whole team is so, cares so much. And so sometimes we just have to use each other, kind of lift each other or hold on to each other to get through some of the frustrations. And, um, you know, I think with the, the, George Mason University's um, Center on Climate Change Communications, their six Americas, I think one of the six has something to do with apathy, right? And it's not a disbelief that something's happening. It's an, I don't really, you know, know what to do. It's people kind of get, you know, we all have very busy lives and get caught up in our day or we feel like our resources aren't there to do the right thing. And, and to me, that's almost the heart, that's almost harder than, people who are dismissive of the science, right? Because yeah, it's like, how do I inspire you to find that thing? Or how do I help you find that way that you can be engaged that moves you from apathetic to empathetic? So that is where the work I've been doing with Project Inside Out comes in. Mm -hmm. So that group, that, that, see, I, I do have some, um, uh, I don't, I don't fully agree with putting people in typologies like mm-hmm. that. Again, mm-hmm. it's not my lens. Yeah. Um, so what we call like people who might not be concerned, you know, the disengaged, um, there is so much going on there that, um, belies a category of like, whether people are engaged or not, often people feel, um, as I talk about my Ted talk, like in a double bind where they feel like, well, damned if I do damned, if I don't kind of thing. Um, and, and so the, the project, uh, that I started a couple of years ago called project inside out, um, is, is really about what it means to be a guide. Mm-hmm. And it's actually replacing this idea that we have to be cheerleaders, so inspire people, mm-hmm. that we have to be educators, make sure people have all the right information, um, or that we have to be writers, which is R-I-G-H-T, which mm-hmm. you know, this language comes out of motivational interviewing, um, which is a, 
approach to behavior change. So like, this is the right thing to do, moralizing. Mm -hmm. So all of those ways of being, educating, cheerleading, writing makes sense, but are not necessarily uh, very effective. And, And what actually really works is guiding and guiding, you know, you hinted at it when you just said inspire or help people. It's like the latter is, is actually, how do we help people? And that's the mindset that I think we all need to be taking on more and more is what does it mean to be a guide? And um, being a guide is, is a very different mode. And it's actually way more effective. It's way easier on us emotionally. It's less um, of a burden on us to feel like we have to somehow keep everyone inspired and uplifted. It's like, that's, that's kind of a lot to handle. Well, and it's like that toxic positivity too isn't healthy. Yeah. And that's a trap that a lot of people can fall into is like, oh, we don't want to be depressing or whatever. And, And you know what? It's like, we have to grow up. We have to be grownups here. And you know what? It's hard stuff that we have to face and there's no way around it. There's no way around it. It's like trying to be, you know, positive about facing trauma in our country when it comes to genocide. Like we have to just face the deal and then we can move forward in a really positive, inspiring, creative, imaginative way. And we have all of those resources available to us. Like humans have unlimited potential to be all of those things, but we can't get there if we are pushing this, like, you know, oh, we have to stay really upbeat all the time. Um, No, I definitely have some friends who, you know, I'm yoga trained. So on the side, I, before the pandemic was teaching yoga, and I think it is really prevalent in that community, the like you attract the energy you put out and you have to be positive and just think positive. And I remember during the pandemic, the early parts of the pandemic, I thought, I just want to freak out about this or climate change. You know, some days I just need to let out how I'm feeling. And so that I don't find that that cheerleaderness, it's a little too fake for me. It's not something I can build my emotional maturity on. Yeah, exactly. I would like to see the climate movement sort of evolve um, a bit more so that it's, it can be both inspiring, but also real and not feel like we have to dance around the truth of what's happening. But it goes back to what you just said about the meetings you have and why we need organizations and why we need groups and whether that's a class you're in or whether that's a you know, a, a meeting you're in or whatever, like community people group. need yeah. each other yeah. to support church, you know, like mm-hmm. people like have these ways of congregating and we need to leverage those um, to actually give us the fortitude to face what is happening and what's coming down the line. Um, and that's where, so in Project Inside Out, we have these five guiding principles that we came up with working closely with, with psychologists to design kind of what are these elements that need, we need in the movement. And they're basically, um, you know, describe the, these attributes. So attuning is number one. So we need to be attuned, tune into our own experience 
and be really connected with your own feelings, your own experience, where am I, how am I, um, but also deeply attuned to others and able to listen like Bob does this incredibly well. He's highly attuned, right? Or he wouldn't be such an incredible leader. So he's attuned, Rich Tao is attuned. Um, the next principle is reveal. So reveal is like communicating, revealing what's true compassionately and with emotional intelligence. Uh, and then there's equip, giving people tools and resources to like guide and then convene. Convene is, is the key and, and learning how to be a convener and what, is, what does it take to be a convener? What does it take to be a good facilitator? How do we hold space? That is to me like really maybe one of the very top skills that we could develop right now in this space is, you know, we already know a lot about the science and the technology, but, you know. Well, and when you think about it, we haven't really been able to convene in person anyway, much mm -hmm. over the last couple of years. Right. And while Zoom is wonderful for allowing us to have this conversation from, you know, 3000 miles apart, mm -hmm. I do think that it is, it can be hard to feel like you're part of a community mm -hmm. when you're only able to get together in a virtual sense. So, yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is definitely tough. Although I know that there's been a lot of convenings that have happened over the past couple of years mm -hmm. that have been really uh, profound for a lot of people. Um, but you're right. It's, it, there's a definite impact on that. Um, I was also just thinking about the documentary that, that CNN did, um, called road to change by Bill Weir. And in that documentary, which I recommend, um, he spends time in Iowa and he ends up going to these meetings that were convened by, um, interfaith power and light mm -hmm. and with these farmers in Iowa who would meet, you know, in these like church basements and talk about how to transition their agricultural practices to be climate oriented and how they could engage with their fellow farmers in this region. Yeah. yeah, it was really powerful. We need more of that. <laughs> so for listeners who are maybe part of a community who would be interested in your project inside out guidelines, is that available online or is that something that you, do you train people to be guides and conveners? What, how, how can people take on this more evolved role? Yeah. Well, so the, there are resources available to anyone on the site. Uh, it's projectinsideout.net. And we are entering a new phase where we're going to be building it out more. And I am very interested in actually partnering with organizations who might want to pilot and try some of these tools out and just kind of see what is most effective in the, with the goal of designing trainings, like yeah. whether it's online courses or mm -hmm. learning journeys. Um, but yeah, totally would like to make that work much more available to a much greater number of people. Well, I especially feel with this younger generation of leaders, they're so energetic and they are open-minded to doing things in a different way. Whereas sometimes I feel like I get very set in my ways and this is the way I've always done it totally. and it doesn't always work, but I'm going to keep doing it that way. Um, but well, that's, yeah, that's, that's a really good point because in order to do this work and to embrace something like guiding and, you know, having to look at yourself and how you show up, which isn't 
always easy thing to do. It takes having an open mind. Yeah. And not everyone has that. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) And we know. (laughs) I still sometimes get emails from people that are like, climate change isn't real. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, Renee, I just find this topic fascinating and I could talk to you for hours about it, but I know you have uh, hours ahead in your day. And so I hope this is just the first of many conversations and that we can have you back in the future. I'd love and that. I'll definitely direct um, our listeners to both your TED talk and to Project Inside Out to learn more. And it's just been a real pleasure to talk to you. And I'm not crying yet, but I might when I hit close on the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Price, I could talk to Renee for hours. She just has such a calming way of thinking about these issues that we work on and care so much about. I wish she were a clinical psychologist because I would book an appointment. (laughs) But the work that she does is really important just in terms of framing, you know, how what we do with that anxiety that we have and, and translate that into meaningful action. And there was a calmness about her that she taught the way she talked and the way she addressed it. And it was it was very calming. And it had me go watch her TED talk, which I encourage everybody to go and do if you're interested in this issue, which by simply listening to this podcast, I think you are. So it is definitely worthy of going to check out her TED Talk. I would highly encourage everybody listening now to do so. I mean, that TED Talk made me cry. <laughs> so You cried anything, it, though. I know, I know, I know. But listeners, if you're like me, grab a box of tissues before you watch her TED Talk. It's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Also awesome is some of the new folks who've signed up to join us this week, which you can do so, republican.org forward slash join, Carolyn D. in Kansas, Shannon S. in North Carolina, Gregory B. in Florida, Will G. in North Carolina, Jeff B. in Colorado, republican.org forward slash join. We need you. We need your friends as well. So We'd love to have you sign up if you haven't done so. Also, tell a friend. We'd love it for each of you listening to recruit one new person. That's all we're asking, just one new person. Just one. Just Just one. Just one. Just do one. Just get one on board, okay? That's all we're asking. We're trying to grow our community. We're not going to beg. We're doing great, but we would still, as you all know, there's just many, many, many more people that we need to reach on this issue. For sure. And you know what, listeners, it is almost my birthday. So this is what you can do for me for my birthday. Get us a new listener. Give us a review. Just make a little tiny, tiny gesture and I will be so happy. Yeah, literally with almost in one week's time, we have a Winley and a Chelsea Henderson birthday. So no, that, all these Sagittarius is hanging around RepublicEN.org. That's right. Small team, a lot of big things packed into December. Um, speaking of December, as we start barreling toward the end of the year, which is weeks left in 2021, if you are interested in having Bob Inglis, a member of our team, somebody from the EcoRight participating with a conservative voice in your event, please drop me a line, price at Republican.org. Um, let me know. Let us know what it is, what you've got going, whether it's a class, um, 
uh, an organization, nonprofit, whatever it may be. We get requests all the time for an array of groups um, starting to build out the 2022 schedule. And if you are interested, now is the time to let us know. Clearly, there will be things that come up later in the year in 2022. And if that's the case, you can let us know then. But if you've got something that you think would make a... um, a good event with having a eco-right voice. We would love to be a part of your event. And please drop me a line if that is the case. Chelsea Henderson. Can you believe that you're booking 2022? I've been booking 2022 since probably sometime in August when I had our first wow. event lined up for, believe it was April. And that was in August. So, yes, it, it's been a while. Um Go ahead. I'm sorry. But, you know, so I had just read something that said, because I don't know about you, Price, I feel like this year has just flown by the last three months, especially. And I read that this is a phenomenon of us still living kind of a, you know, quarantine life, so to speak, when you don't have a lot of big things happen to anchor you to time. So like a big family trip or maybe a wedding or something, you know, some sort of party kind of social thing, but you know, the big stuff, when you don't have those then to anchor you to the time, then time feels like it's flying by. So I think that's the reason for me why this year is just flying by. Yeah. I think it's a matter of perspective. I think that's probably accurate. I think if, you know, the year before, when we did nothing, literally, um, and then, you know, as this year started to slowly crank up to a degree, I say crank up, you know, obviously, depending on where you live and, you know, who you are, but as, you know, some things have started getting back a little closer to normal, you know, especially in the second half, you know, of the year, you know, it felt like it sped up a little bit. So, I, I mean, matter of perspective, yes, but I think uh, I think you're spot on as well. Well, I'm usually right, Price. You, you know are. that. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> um, what do we have coming up next week as we get ready to put a bow on Season 3 in 2021 as far as the Eco Right Speaks podcast is concerned? Yeah. You're going to love the next episode, Price. So our penultimate episode will feature Dr. Marshall Shepard from Weather Geeks, a show that Bob has been on. Um, podcast now used to be a TV show on the Weather Channel. Weather Geeks is currently a podcast hosted by Dr. Shepard, who is a climate scientist, and he's just fantastic. Listeners, check out his podcast if you want a little preview of what you're going to get. Um, he it's, it's a good show. It's going to be a good show. Yeah. Marshall is an awesome, awesome guy with awesome, awesome knowledge. Give him a follow on Twitter at DRShepard2013. As you mentioned, the Weather Geeks, he is a uh, atmospheric science professor over at the University of Georgia. Um, Marshall is just a freaking great dude. He is he, he's awesome to listen to speak. I think everybody's going to enjoy the treat. Uh, Marshall uh, and you will deliver with Marshall next week having him on. And um, it will be the last episode as we will come to you with one more kind of a best of 2021 season three after that to put a final bow and just kind of tidy you over to you know 2022 through the holidays until we get fired up early next year but yeah marshall shepherd is is just fantastic i can't wait to hit i haven't inter- edited the interview i can't wait to listen to it uh, i'm really excited uh, and really appreciate marshall joining us here 
you know, on the show. Again, a fantastic listen, you know, that writes a lot for Forbes, meteorology. I mean, look, he's just, Marshall is just awesome. And I'm going to stop gushing right there. You routinely gush about <laughs> guests. This is one of the ones that that I personally know and have met many times. And so that's why I'm, I'm continuing to gush for minutes upon minutes. And I'll stop there. Gush away, gush away. And I just have to say to you, Price, I am so excited to go through season three and start kind of compiling my, some of my favorite clips from the season. We had some great guests, you know, some more obscure guests, right? I don't, we didn't have a lot of like super famous people, so to speak, but some great insight and knowledge and just really looking forward to putting together those highlights, reliving it a little bit, but also gearing up for season four. So 100% excited to do season four with you early next year. But until then, we will take a break and we will see you next week. And until then, Chelsea Anderson, I bid you adieu. Yes, see you next week, Price. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader. <laughs>